Good afternoon. Everybody hear me? This is okay? Unmuted. I was told I didn't have to. Uh, that's Darren Fall. I was told. I was told I wouldn't have to do that. No. It is, uh, it is good to be here. It's been, I have been a fan of Glasgow Grace uh, since you guys started, uh, and it is truly an honor and a, a pleasure to be here. My name's Wade. Um, I've known the Kennedys and the Penmans. Uh, the Rennies uh, and some of the other folks in the room, I'm sure, for a long time. And so uh, when Ian asked me if I would be willing to kind of in the last minute come and, and, and share a little bit and preach, I'm like, man, I was excited. I was really looking forward to see what was going on for myself and to be here live and in person. Uh, after, especially after the year we've had, it's, it's good to be in person anywhere, right? So uh, I'm, ex I'm excited. Ian asked if I would share a little bit about uh, maybe some of the stuff that I do in the ministry I'm involved with. Um, and then we'll get to a sermon here in just a few minutes at some point. Uh, I lead uh, the UK division of an organization called Vital Church Ministry. Uh, we revitalize churches in transition or crisis. Um, uh, I operate, we operate as intentional interim pastors and lead churches through a biblical and theological process of revitalization. It's a three-stage process uh, that help churches identify what the real root systemic issues are within a church that are, is hindering the church. And so we help identify those. And, and so actually Ian and I are becoming neighbors uh, my wife and I bought a, a house on the south side, and we've spent the year renovating that, and it's, it's not far from where um, Ian and Lindsay live now. And so we went, actually, we went to go get coffee a couple weeks ago and, uh, at one of our little lo local shops. And, and uh, as we were sitting there, we were setting the worlds to rights, of course. Um, but then he asked me this question. He is asked, does the Vital Church ever work with healthy churches? Does Vital Church ever work with healthy churches to help them before the issues cross up or crop up? And the short answer to that is sadly not usually. Uh, no. Um, however, interestingly enough, uh, we are working on this tool that we're called we're calling the Vitality Survey. Um, and Ian asked me if I would specifically uh, share with you a little bit about what that is because he might be volunteering you guys as guinea pigs as we're kind of uh, uh, starting this, kind of developing this thing. So we work with churches in transition or crisis, and we use a discernment process uh, at the beginning of that that's been developed over 25 years. And similarly to like maybe Revelation 2 and 3, if you're familiar, when Jesus uh, uh, wrote letters to the church, um, giving them a little bit of like, hey, this is what this is what's going on great and then there was also a little bit of rebuke there if needed and so in the same process if you think like what would it be like if Jesus was walking in and amongst our church what would he have to say and so the process for us begins with an online survey it's about a hundred to 120 questions that uh, everybody in the church takes and this is produces about 125 pages of data that begins to reveal what the real issues are in the church. And so along with um, interviews and a discernment team that comes in and asks the questions, what we're really trying to discern is what is the Spirit saying to the church, to the local church? And then the conclusion of this process is a mirror for the church to see their true current realities and then a map 
to kind of help lead and show the way forward. So, but what about a church that is comparatively healthy? Well, much like this church, right? Comparatively healthy, new, not a whole lot of issues going on. So, uh, uh, think of it like this way. So, we, we've developed this new kind of vitality check. So, in a couple weeks, I think next week actually, I've booked in for a physical uh, with my doctor. Now, outside of the bumps and bruises that come along with a year-long home renovation process, uh, I feel relatively okay. Um, I got a new haircut this week, so I'm looking good, right? So, right? So, uh, so why go to the doctor? Why get checked out? Well, there can be a bunch of reasons why we go and get a physical from the doctor, a routine physical. It might be a new job or the type of job. Many jobs require it. Maybe it's military service, life insurance. If you're kind of in that stage of your life, sometimes they require you to get a, to get a physical to kind of get checked out. There can be uh, a numerous reasons. Maybe you've just hit midlife and you know that there's family health issues in your family line and you just kind of want to make sure that things are uh, where they should be and you want to might just kind of in case you can catch something early. So whatever the case, you go in, you get that routine physical, the doctor's going to ask a series of questions. They're going to take vital signs, right? Blood pressure, heart, you know, they're going to take your temperature and, and things like that. And so uh, the reason to do that is just to make sure that everything's as it should be or if some adjustments might need to be made before things turn into issues later. So that's kind of what the church vitality survey that we're designing uh, is designed to do. Uh, it's an opportunity for the church as a whole to have a collective voice and collaborate and, and celebrate uh, the great things that God has done and is doing in a life of a church, but also identify and make any adjustments if necessary if, as you enter into a new season of ministry, especially kind of post-lockdown, right, as things seem to have changed uh, dramatically over the last year or so. So we're really excited about this. I'm really excited about this. And you guys might be able to participate. Ian might throw you in as guinea pigs as we're looking for a few people to just kind of try this thing out to see how it works. And, and uh, we, we think through the 25 years of developing these kind of things, we think it can be really effective um, for churches. Okay, so that's all free. So uh, Ian, if you're out there listening somewhere, that bit did not count towards my 25 minutes in the sermon, okay? <laughs> so my sermon time starts, uh, starts now. So this morning, and speaking of which, I'm gonna put my little, uh, yeah, there we go. Okay, now I know where we're at. All right, so this morning, we're gonna talk this afternoon, this afternoon, it is this afternoon, we're gonna talk about joy, joy. The last 18 months, Joy, for many of us, may have felt like a commodity that is in short supply. of pandemic. At your local petrol station just a week ago, right? Joy. Now, if we're talking about frustration or sadness, anger, becoming a conspiracy theorist, or teetering on being an anti-vaxxer, now that, I've got plenty of. Or I know that there's plenty of that going around. But what about joy? Joy. Never mind this devastating global pandemic that we find, out, that we find ourselves in. What about the pain, loss, 
and missed expectations of just everyday life. Why has this year, uh, this past 18 months, had such a negative impact on our mental health? Why are churches finding it such a struggle to get folks to come back post-restrictions? Why does my faith feel sleepy these days? I want to propose that some of the negative feelings that we might be experiencing that is challenging joy are tied to our experience of grief. I want to propose, say that again, I want to propose that our negative feelings that we might be experiencing that's challenging the joy that we should have, do have, that maybe those things are tied to an experience of grief. So last year, uh, Vital Church actually produced a survey to help churches navigate the changing landscape of the pandemic. It sounds like that's all Vital Church does, right? That does surveys. That's actually not the case. It's only just a very small part of what we do. But churches across the states and across the UK uh, took the survey. And one of the line of questioning through the survey was, ask, was asking the experience of symptoms of grief. And... Um, uh, some of the churches here and in the states that have taken this survey, we have seen a significant percentage of experienced symptoms of grief. And due to other responses on that survey, it seems possible that many of us don't recognize the feelings and the decline of mental health and the possible symptoms that we're experiencing actually being attributed to grief. So what does grief got to do with the changes connected to life in the midst of a pandemic? A lot of us think that grieving is just something we do when someone dies. And that's true. That is true. But grief accompanies all kinds of loss from large things like the loss of a dear loved one. But it also, com uh, it, it, it also accompanies smaller things like having to talk to people with masks on and not being able to see their face or not being able to visit family or to hug or to embrace. Does anybody out there have family in another country that you haven't been allowed to visit yet? Yeah, yeah, me too. Grief. Does anyone else just want to hug your mother right now and you haven't been able to do it? Grief. Every change involves loss and every loss creates grief. Canceling your holiday and then spending six months to try to fight to get your money back. Some grief, right? More ways than you can realize. It can even be relatively little things. Maybe it's being a part of a church without a permanent home that's on the move with ever-changing circumstances, right? I've been there. I know what that's like. I mean, for crying out loud, can we just meet in one place at one time for just a little while? Yeah? Maybe that sounds familiar. Yeah, I've been there. I know what that's, I know what that's like. Grief comes out in many ways. So an organization called Renew, they to walk with pastors and missionaries uh, and churches through grief. And they do some 
training in this area, and this is what they say. It says, grief comes out in many ways. It's unique for each person. Sometimes it can be hard to even realize when you're grieving because our expression of it doesn't line up what we think it should look like. It's often a mix of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual symptoms. So here is some, but certainly not all of the facets of grief. All right, are you ready? I'm going to read these off so you can just kind of tally them up. So if you're feeling some of these more so now, maybe in the last couple years than you have in the past, maybe just kind of keep track. Okay, ready? Here we go. Anger, betrayal, defensiveness, sadness, numbness, loneliness, tears, nausea, denial, troubled sleep, shame, envy, getting sick, brain fog, confusion, muscle tightness, despair, bitterness, headaches, nightmares, relief, frustration, guilt, gladness, hurt, resentment, bargaining, excitement, depression, hope, acceptance, fatigue, questioning. Did I leave anyone off the list? I mean, that feels like Wednesday. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Okay, so left unchecked, if these things are unprocessed, the effects of grief can have a profound impact on our mental and physical health. So my wife and I, my wife Victoria and I, after years of trying to have children, found out about five or six years ago, maybe it's now seven, almost seven years ago, that that wasn't going to be happening. It, was, it confirmed that that wasn't going to take place outside of a genuine miracle or alternative means. Now, needless to say, this was devastating. And the grief that was experienced was profound. Now, I know, we know, that many of you have stories of pain, loss, and missed expectations that are maybe similar or even different in areas, but the grief is there. It's real. The grief is real, and it can seem like it goes on forever. It's unrelenting sometimes. For me, years after the fact, after we found out this news that it wasn't going to happen, um, one of the partners of Vital Church Ministries, he's a friend of mine, he's a, he's a colleague, um, he actually, Greg Crusoe, he actually heads up the diagnostic division, he's responsible for all the surveys and stuff, and so he was visiting and we were talking about this a little bit, and I was expressing to him that I was really struggling for joy, struggling for joy. And even then, I started, I began to get emotional about it. I can almost feel it starting to come back now. And he said this. He said, the uncommon path to joy is through grief. The uncommon path to joy is through grief. Now, this is where the divine paradox comes to play. Okay? The gospel is paradoxical. It's counterintuitive. We go down to go up. Death always precedes life. And to get to the land of joy, we travel through the land of grief. Our souls want to find a way around grief. But God says no. God says you must travel through grief to get to joy. And the good news is, He says, I'll go with you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Psalm 6. So grab your Bibles. 
and turn to Psalm 6, and we're going to let it show us how acknowledging our grief, truth-telling to God, and agreeing with God's perspective on our situation is the uncommon path to joy. All right, so here's where we're going to start. Psalm 6 in verse 1. I'm going to be reading out of the, the uh, Holman's uh, translation, so whatever translation you've got, that's all right. Here we go. Verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. For there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? So first, acknowledge your grief. I used to just blast through the Psalms. Psalms were never kind of my favorite parts of the Bible. I mean, poetry, really. It doesn't even rhyme. So (laughs) in more recent years, I've come to really appreciate the honesty, uh, the authenticity and transparency of emotions that the psalm writers have with God. So Psalm 6 here is a lament. It's one of David's psalms. It's a lament from David. David is experiencing serious and difficult circumstances. And this is a heartfelt, honest response to God. Lord, how long? How long? So David's confused, right? So what's going on? He fe- okay, so what, what, what could be going on in his head? He feels that his circumstances could be a result of God's wrath due to sin. Maybe, but David doesn't seem to to name anything specific. It could be that he's wondering if he's experiencing God's angry discipline. It's true. God disciplines those he loves, but never out of anger. Or could it be that God's doing something different here with David? Regardless, through this trial, David is acknowledging to God emotional and physical responses to his circumstances. You can see him right there. Physically, his bones are shaking. He's physically sick. Emotionally, he is afraid. Mentally, he's feeling lost and in need of rescue. He's even questioning God. Hey, where are you? What's going on here? Lord, how long am I going to have to deal with this? And we see at the root of his response is fear. My whole being is shaken with terror. He's afraid. Has David done something wrong? Or is God at work in different ways in David's life? So James 1, 2 gives us a little bit of possible insight into the trials that we might experience. James 1-2 says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So what is God doing with David? Could it be that God is allowing trials to do a maturing work in David? 
I think a hint could be in verse 2. If we look at that, it says, Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Okay, this is not a feeling of weak. Lord, I am feeling weak, but it's an identity of weakness. Lord, I am weak. Could it be that God is revealing a lie, a wrong belief, a false identity? I am weak. David, the weak one. That's not how we know David. That's not the identity that God gave him through Samuel. No, remember, if you remember, Samuel went to David's father, Jesse, to find among his sons who? The king. To find the king. That's his true identity, not the weak one. The root of David's weakness was fear. For us, the root of our sin or our false identities in this past year, it, 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 could, be, it could be fear. What is it for you? What is a false identity or a lie that God may be revealing in your heart? What is the root? The root of David's weakness was fear. The root for our sin, our negative emotions, our false identity can also be found in fear. And like David, acknowledge what's really going on. Acknowledge what's really going on. Reflect and be aware of what's really going on in your heart. So what do we do about it? All right, let's pick up verse 6. I am weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my pillow and I drench my bed every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. So what do we do when we become aware of what's really going on? So second point, be honest with God about your feelings and your perspective of your situation. We see David not holding back. He is appropriately honest and transparent with how he's feeling. He's truth-telling. Now, of all people, Christians should be known as honest truth-tellers, right? I mean, we should be really good at this. But we lie all the time. I mean, we fight with our wives all the way to church, and then we fake it for an hour. I mean, for those of you young folks that aren't married yet, you'll see. <laughs> uh, with Vital Church Ministries, unfortunately, we work with churches that behind the scenes, the wheels are coming off, but publicly they project everything as butters, butterflies and rainbows until the truth comes out. That's deceptive. That's lying. We do that all the time. But we wouldn't lie to God, right? No. Would we? We say we pray these super spiritual prayers. Dear Lord, I trust that everything is in your hands and you don't give us more than we can handle. I mean, if, you're really, if that's really the way you feel, then please be praying for the rest of us. Because sometimes it's hard to really feel that way. Grief is never fun. It's never fun. And we naturally tend to resist it. We deny it. We shut it off. 
facets of grief. We shut off the facets of grief that we might be experiencing. And some, com some common ways that we do this, get ready, all right? This, is a, this, this might be a little challenging for some of us. All right, here's some, here's some of the common ways we resist grief, all right? We numb it out. We use activities to escape. We don't, have to, we don't have to feel our emotions, so we binge watch Netflix. We eat or don't eat. We overeat or we don't eat at all. We exercise. These are all tools to try to numb grief. None of those things are sinful or bad in of themselves, but sometimes we use those to numb our grief. Business, busyness. We work long hours or we overcommit ourselves um, so we don't have time to experience grief. We focus on the positive, right? Denying unwanted feelings by redirecting our attention to the good in the situation. Serving others, fixating on helping others, spouse, children, clients, so we don't have to the, have the time or the space to, to focus and examine our own life. Maybe we rationalize, right? Coming up with excuses or explanations to help you dismiss the unwanted emotions. So let's stop. Let's just commit ourselves today to stop lying to God and lying to others and become truth tellers. That's called confession. Confession is truth telling to God. It's being honest with God about your feelings and your perspective. So sometimes we think confession is just telling God what we did. God, here's a list of things I did. Man, I'm really sorry. Like, that's not confession. Confession is being honest with why we did those things. What's our emotion? Being honest with our feelings and our perspective. Dear God in heaven, this year sucks. I hate it. Where are you? I've lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay you the bills. The people in my life feel like they've abandoned me. God, I act out in sinful ways to mask my pain because if I, acknowledge, if I acknowledge it, I'm afraid you won't be there. Or I'm afraid I might have another panic attack or I might lash out. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. That's the kind of prayer God can work with. Truth-telling. Truth-telling to God about what you're actually afraid of. What's actually going on. For David, in this passage, we see that it's the fear of all of his enemies. Even though David didn't lose when he listened and was obedient to God. Why would he be afraid? David's enemies only had victory when he acted out of fear. Otherwise, when he was obedient and listened to God, he won every time. What about you? What do you need to truth tell to God? Acknowledge your grief. Confess. Truth tell to God. Let's wrap it up. Verse 8. Depart from me, all evildoers. He goes on. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. So finally, we see here, agree with God's perspective of your situation. Agree with God's perspective of your situation. Here, David shows us the reorientation of his mind. He doesn't just stay rooted in his fear. 
of his enemies. Instead, he chooses, he chooses to rest in God's truth. The Lord has heard me. The Lord accepts my prayer. Why? Why does the Lord hear and accept his prayer? Because David's so awesome. Have you read his story? Huh? I mean, he, he, he bottles it hard a couple times. Huh? Has he ticked all the religious boxes? Is he super spiritual? Is that why the God hears and accepts his prayers? No. In short, it's because he repents. He repents. Repentance is knowing and listening to God and agreeing with Him about your current situation and responding in obedience. Repentance is a gift from God. It's a changing of the mind, a realigning of the heart with God, listening to Him, agreeing with Him about our circumstances and responding in obedience. So David is feeling lost, confused, fearful, but he knows and remembers the nature of God. Remember verse 4, okay? David leans on the character of God. Verse 4, turn, Lord, rescue me, save me because of your faithful love. Joy that transcends our current circumstances is rooted in God's faithful love, not the happenstance of our current reality. Psalm 6 begins with David fearful of God's wrath and his righteous anger. But David pleads with God and receives mercy. So Psalm 6 also points us to someone else, a true and greater king, a king that was in the line of David, a king that was in the Garden of Gethsemane and pleaded with God, but did not receive mercy. See, Jesus, Jesus received, instead of mercy, Jesus received God's angry rebuke that our sin deserved. And at the cross, Jesus bore God's wrath that His justice demanded for our sin. And now in Christ, only in Christ, can we be honest before God, completely unafraid of His anger and His wrath, regardless of your sin or your circumstances. Jesus knows our grief. He understands our loss and our sorrow. Jesus, the scriptures say Jesus became the man of sorrow in order that we can travel with Him through the land of grief, and in Him we can have joy in the fullest. Amen? Amen. We see that joy throughout the Bible. Those that know and follow Jesus. We see Jesus' uh, mother Mary, an unwed, pregnant teenager whose life has just been turned upside down, yet sings, My soul proclaims the greatness of of the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. We see it in the joy of the disciples after being severely beating, beaten for preaching Christ. They rejoice and count, uh, for being counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of Jesus because they believed in the promise. They believed in the promise. John 16, 22, Jesus says, you 
will have sorrow now. That's a promise. You will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of your joy. In that day, you will not ask me for anything. Do you believe this? As we transition to worship, I'll ask these guys to come on up. Let's let God reveal the gaps in our belief. And let me just end with this. Grief is a process. It takes time. Many of us are in different stages, potentially different stages of grief. For, uh, uh, we're each in a different journey. For some, this might just be preparation. You might be not dealing with anything, so this might just be preparation for a future day. Um, some of us might be a kickstart. And for some of us, it might be just what we need to help us to get unstuck. This has been a crazy, crazy season. This last 18 months, two years. Church, I know this has been a tough couple years. So as a church, let me, just, let me just ask you to extend your leaders and each other a little bit of grace. None of this situation is what we want, but together, let's acknowledge our grief. Let's truth tell to God and agree with God's perspective of our situation. This is the uncommon path to joy. Our soul is going to want to find a way around grief. But God says no. We must travel through grief, through the land of grief, to get to the land of joy. But the good news is, He says, I will go with you and will do it in my power and my strength. Let's go to Jesus together. Amen. So as we transition in a time of uh, worship, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, then this table is for you. This is Christ's table. Uh, we just invite you to come forward anytime in uh, this set of worship and communion is up here. The bread up here, the bread uh, on that night when Jesus was betrayed, he took that bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it and said, this is my body in which I give to you. Take this, eat it, and do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, he took the cup, the final cup of the meal, and he said, in this cup, the new cup, the covenant in my blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins, take this, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. So we invite you, if you're following Jesus, to come and remember him in that way. I've also been asked that if you've got a prophetic word, you believe that God has, been give, has given you a prophetic word, a picture, or a Bible passage today, and you want to pass, you want to share that, I just uh, ask you to come forward and, and talk to Lewis here and share with him um, and do that before the end of the, the second song. So would you stand with me and let's worship God together. <laughs>